Hey there, I'm Sarah K. Hoffman, a holistic health coach and chief gutsy of a gutsygirl.com. I went from bloated, gassy, and infertile to living my best life with a strong microbiome and a very full house. On this show, no topic is too stinky to discuss and everything can be broken down into practical, digestible takeaways. So grab a cup of bone broth, veggie broth, or a soothing golden latte if you prefer, and come along as I show you how the number two might just be your new number one. Hello, thank you for joining me for episode 54 of the A Gutsy Girl podcast. I am Sarah K. Huffman, aka A Gutsy Girl, your host for this show, author of The Leaky Gut Meal Plan and A Gutsy Girl's Bible, A 21-Day Approach to Healing the Gut, creator of the digital course Gut Healing for Beginners, and last but certainly not least, Chief Gutsy over at agutsygirl.com. Way back when, in 2018, I wrote a post on agutsygirl.com called Micronutrients and Macronutrients with SIBO. In the post, I stated, and then my blood test came back recently, and for the first time ever, I was deficient or borderline deficient in several things. And these things were vitamin B3, vitamin D3, magnesium, vitamin C, selenium, copper, carnitine, vitamin E, manganese, vitamin A, and vitamin K2. I wanted to devote some time to writing about micro and macronutrients for this community because I knew so many other women were in the same boat. To date, I've written in detail about the following. B12, vitamin D, vitamin A, magnesium, vitamin C, vitamin K2, and zinc. But now it's time to dedicate an entire show to micronutrients because yes, they are truly that important and you're going to understand how and why after the episode today. So here is more on today's guest. Bernadette Abraham is a highly engaging and sought-after health expert with over 25 years of experience in physical well-being in Canada, the United States, and the United Arab Emirates. A mother of four, she holds a bachelor's degree in computer engineering, master's degree in exercise science and health promotion, and continues to accumulate credentials as a functional, nutritional, therapy practitioner, and AFMC certified functional medicine coach. She tackles root causes of ill health that mystify traditional medicine and unlocks the truth about the natural recovery of the body. Bernadette's mission is to lead people on a life-changing journey that brings them closer to healing through awareness and prevention. You can connect with Bernadette through her Instagram account, which is Bernadette.Abraham, via her Be Better membership program, and or through her website in general at www.BernadetteAbraham. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the A Gutsy Girl podcast, Bernadette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those of you who do not know Bernadette, she actually lives in Dubai, but this summer she is spending in my neighboring country of Canada. So we were just having a little conversation about that. I love that podcasting allows me to meet people like you all over the world and that it's a platform that we can connect no matter where we're at. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for asking. So if you could just get started and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and anything else fascinating that the world should know. So I've always had a love for health, fitness, nutrition, wellness, but I took a detour in terms of my studies growing up. And so I was a young athlete growing up. I was a competitive gymnast for eight years, injured myself. And then I actually ended up coaching gymnastics at the age of 16, got into track and field, made the Canadian junior national team, same injury again. And then I got into coaching that. And then I got into karate 
and the world of kickboxing and group coaching classes, fitness classes. So of course, someone with a love of health and fitness, of course, goes on to university to study computer engineering. (laughs) You know, a big 180 turn, but I have an analytical mind. And so I was always good in the maths and sciences, but wasn't properly guided in terms of uni choices. So even in university, while learning engineering, I was still teaching kickboxing and fitness classes to university students and others. So it's always been my hobby and my passion working with people. And so it wasn't until I graduated, got married, and two years later had my first son. So I have four kids that I decided to retire as an engineer because I hated every single minute of it. I mean, I'm a people person. I'm there to help people, coach people. And looking back, I can see the trends, you know, all the signs were there. And so it wasn't until my first son was born that I decided that I want to help people. And so I pursued my education in something that made a little bit more sense. And I earned my master's degree in exercise science and health promotion. And I worked with clients in a one-on-one fashion. I, I also got my personal training certification. And, you know, for some clients, they were doing great. But for others, there was still something missing. Diet and exercise weren't enough. They still had symptoms. They weren't feeling well. They weren't getting the goals that they wanted to be getting to. And I knew there was something more underlying. So that led me to pursue my education. I became a nutritional therapy practitioner. That really unlocked a lot of doors for me. I was able to really start helping address people's health concerns at a root cause level, looking at their nutritional deficiencies. And I know that that's what we're going to dive into in today's talk. So I'm really excited to be able to do that. But again, it was limited in terms of people who I can help because it was just the people in my region, in my area. I couldn't help, for example, my family that's living in Canada or friends that lived in the States. And so, again, I decided to pursue my education. And that's when really a lot of doors opened up for me. And that's when I earned my certification as a functional medicine practitioner. And that allowed me to better understand and interpret functional lab work and really get to the root cause of people's health concerns and be able to work with people globally. I love the fact that I have clients all over the world now. Like you, you have this podcast, you're connecting with people all over the world. And so I started working for a number of years, one-on-one, applying functional medicine science and nutritional therapy, and really, really helping people feel better. And so most recently, because I've developed a pretty long waiting list for one-on-ones, I've just recently launched an online platform It's my Be Better membership that allows me to help more people, to help guide them along their journey. So really excited about that. I have a book that's coming out also soon in a few months called Unjunk, How to Raise Healthy Eaters in a Processed World. So these are my two latest ventures that I'm really excited about to just be able to help more people. I love all of that. I was actually just looking into Unjunk a little bit more, and I will be sure, obviously, to link to all of these in the show notes for people. I'm curious, how old are your children? You said you have four. And I love that you're taking the approach with the littles and raising them and bringing them up. So how old are your children? They're older children now. So my youngest is 11 and there's just two years between each. So 11, 13, 15, and 17 now. And I say that my book was really 10 years in the making because I had to learn as a parent as well, how to adjust and adapt and how to raise healthy eaters. I mean, Even though I'm a health professional and I know it and I know nutrition, it's an entirely different beast trying to raise kids and trying to get it across to kids. It's an interesting journey. It's been a lot of clinical experience, but also personal experience as a mom. I can completely relate to that. So my children are all a lot younger. They're six, seven, and eight. I can relate to the idea that it would be a book, a 10-year in the making, because I'm going through the motions right now. And it's like, even though you know all the things, it's very, very hard to translate that knowledge into raising them and teaching them the ways of what it means to eat healthier, but not focusing on it, you know, because I have two girls. So there's just such a balance. It's really this fine line of eating healthy without making it obsessive. Yeah, obsessive, but also make it taste good. It's harder for smaller children, you know, especially when their friends are food dyes and all the other things. So I love that. It is. It's a big struggle and it's a societal problem. I mean, if you're the only one feeding your kids packing healthy food and then you go to school and they have their friends with Oreo cookies and bags of chips, well, guess what? They're going to want to eat from their friends' lunches, right? So (laughs) 
it's a struggle. It really is. Okay. So today's conversation, you know, I know we're going to talk about micronutrients in the gut today. And I think the reason why I really wanted to focus on this topic with you is because I believe that quite some time ago, I saw you had a post on your Instagram about it. And this is a topic that I have also talked about a lot. When I saw it, I think it's one of those topics that we don't really dive deep into, but it's a really, really important topic, especially for anyone on a gut healing journey. So that's why I saw that you really were talking about it, knew a lot about it, and I thought you would be the perfect person to come on and talk about it. So can you just start this conversation off by talking a little bit more about what exactly is a micronutrient? We talk so much about macronutrients. So what's the difference and what is a micronutrient? Micronutrients is just basically this label, this term that we use to describe vitamins and minerals. That's basically it. So most people, like you said, know about the macronutrients, which are the proteins, the carbs, and the fats, but the micronutrients are really just the vitamins and minerals that our bodies need. We can't function without micronutrients. So I like to think of them as the keys to a car. So you have a car, but without the keys, the car is not going to go anywhere. And that's essentially what micronutrients are. They help the body function and they play a role in basically every aspect of our human physiology. And without them, we just don't function. And these micronutrients can be broken down into four different categories. The vitamins can be either water-soluble or fat-soluble. And the minerals are either macrominerals or trace minerals. And so water-soluble vitamins just basically mean that they can dissolve in water. So essentially, if you take too much of it, it's easily flushed out in urine and no issues. There's no toxicity issues that can happen there. And these are typically our B vitamins and vitamin C. We can easily flush out the excess. Fat-soluble vitamins, on the other hand, those need to be absorbed. We need fat to absorb them. And they can actually also be stored in liver and fat tissues for future use. And so you can actually overdo fat-soluble vitamins because we can store them. The acronym that I use to remember them is ADEC. So those are vitamins A, D, E, and K. Those are our fat-soluble vitamins. And then in terms of the minerals, like I said, we have the macro and the trace minerals. We need a lot more of the macro minerals than we do the trace minerals. But that's not to say that the trace minerals aren't important. They are. We just need a lot more macro minerals the more common ones that we know about, like calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, sodium chloride, potassium, sulfur, the ones that you would typically find in a lab panel as well when you get tested at a doctor's office. The trace minerals, just because we don't need as much of them, they are still very important. Those are things like zinc and copper and iron and selenium, iodine and manganese. And so all of these play very important roles in the functioning of our body. That was awesome. Thank you so much for starting there and going over that. I know that when I was first diagnosed with SIBO, many from both the vitamins and the minerals and in each of the two categories that you broke down for us, I was very deficient in. So that I think is one of the reasons why I thought this would be a great conversation. So that really leads me into the next question. In your experiences, what is the most common micronutrient deficiency in those with gut problems and why? Or maybe if there's a couple that you want to talk about. In my Be Better membership, I actually have a course called the Gut Health Masterclass because I truly feel that it's the foundation. It's the launch pad for overall health. So I want people to start there. And I actually teach that digestion is a north to south process. And so dysfunction is also going to begin north in the brain. So if we're not eating in a parasympathetic way, meaning if we're not relaxed, if we're not chewing or being mindful, and instead we're eating on the run, right? We're in the car in front of the TV or the computer. We're giving our brain the signal to be on the go. Then digestion gets compromised because it's a parasympathetic process. So all the hormones that need to be released for digestion, they get compromised. So as a result, a person might not have enough saliva, right? And they might feel the need that they have to drink a lot of water with their meal, which is going to further dilute their digestive juices and compromise digestion. They also won't produce enough stomach acid to break down their food. 
And that's really where the macro and the micronutrient deficiencies or insufficiencies really begin to happen. If there isn't good, strong stomach acid, we're not going to absorb key nutrients, micronutrients like iron, calcium, copper, magnesium, phosphorus, selenium. We won't produce something called intrinsic factor, which allows us to absorb B12 further down in the small intestine. And it really depends on where the gut problem is because we absorb micronutrients in different parts of the gastrointestinal tract. So if someone has celiac disease, for example, or some other inflammatory bowel disease where there's a lot of inflammation causing malabsorption due to damage to the brush border that includes the villi and the microvilli, which are these like finger-like projections along the GI tract that allow us to absorb our micronutrients. The way I like to explain it, I like a lot of analogies. So if you imagine you have a plush carpet and you spill a glass of water on it, the plushness of that carpet is going to soak up the water. Now take that same cup of water and spill it on hardwood floor. It's going to make a mess and the floor isn't going to soak up the water. And so the same thing happens in those with inflammatory bowel conditions, that plush carpet and those finger-like projections, they get blunted and they're not absorbing nutrients as well. So it really depends on where the gut problem is. Since the majority of our nutrients do get absorbed, In the stomach, the duodenum, the ileum, and the jejunum. Those are parts of the small intestine along the gastrointestinal tract. To answer your question, if I'm going to pick a few micronutrient insufficiencies or deficiencies today, I'd say that iron, magnesium, B12, and vitamin A are probably the most present ones that are insufficient or deficient today. All of that makes perfect sense. And we do talk a lot in this community about how most of the nutrients are absorbed in the small intestine, which is exactly what you went over. And then you had laid out some of the most common ones that you see with gut problems. I just want to go a little bit more into detail with some of the specific vitamins to start with, because as you know, there's so much information out there about, well, you need to take more vitamin C or vitamin A and people are like, okay, great, but what is it for? Why am I taking it? And also, by the way, not everyone needs to take more. I am such a proponent of make sure you test to be sure that you actually are deficient in any specific vitamin before you're over supplementing. But I think people get really confused about the different vitamins and what they're actually doing. Let's talk a little bit more about what certain ones are and why they're critical for optimal gut health. So let's start with the B vitamins. You just want to break down a little bit more. What's the difference between even B12 and B6 or B2 or any of them? They each play a different role for sure. And it's interesting because we can actually produce B vitamins in small quantities in the large intestine. That's thanks to the bacteria that we actually harbor in our gut. And several gut bacteria actually require specific vitamins for their growth. So like you were saying, the B1 and the B6 and the B12. So different B vitamins are going to help the growth of different bacteria. And so B vitamins are essential not only for us, because, I mean, bees are used for methylation, for detoxification, and so many other functions in the body. But when it comes to the gut, it's also the bacteria that's living inside the gut. It plays a crucial role in shaping the diversity and the richness of our gut microbiome as well. There's obviously so much evidence showing that the healthy gut lies in a healthy microbial ecology. So B vitamins do play a major role in our gut microbiome health. In terms of what B vitamin should I take, unless you have an overt deficiency in, let's say, B6 because of a genetic SNP or variant that a person might have, I generally like to recommend whole food, so foods rich in B vitamins, because they come as a complex, they come as a group. And unless you know you have an overt deficiency in one type of B vitamin, I don't like to supplement with a single B vitamin nutrient. I'd rather If you're going to supplement, supplement with a whole B-complex group because they all play together. So for example, B2 helps inactivate the P5P form, the B6 form. They all kind of work together in synergy together. So unless you know that you have a specific deficiency in one type and you're looking to supplement with B vitamins as opposed to eating foods that are rich in B vitamins, then take it as a complex, as a B-complex. 
Ooh, those are some good thoughts. And this is where if anyone feels like there is a certain B vitamin that you're deficient in, you get tested because I will say that I was very, very deficient in B12 to the point where I had to have injections to my stomach when I had SIBO. But you would only know something like that if you're tested for it. But so I love the idea and the discussion around just the whole B complex and getting it from whole foods. Do you have a couple of foods that you really love for that B complex? Liver. <laughs> yes, I love it. And I know so many people go, Ugh, but honestly, I've found ways to help my clients introduce it and my community as well. I've actually have a post on ways to include more liver. So if you don't like eating it, just like cooking it up and eating it with onions and parsley, for example, with lemon juice and garlic, then you can actually chop it up into very, very small pieces and freeze it. And you could actually take it like a supplement. So you would swallow it with meals instead of actually eating it like food. So that's probably the easiest way to get in liver. So chop it up small, make sure it's a good grass-fed, high-quality organic liver and freeze it into small pieces and just swallow it like you would capsules with meals because you want that good, strong stomach acid to be able to break it down with a meal. You can also hide it. So for kids, if you make hamburgers, for example, you can take a one to three ratio, right? So one portion of liver to three portions of red meat to make the burgers. So just hide the flavor that way. And then liver pate. I mean, if you don't like it whole, you can also consider making a liver pate, which is really rich in butter, which is also really good for gut health and rich in short chain fatty acids. These are things that can also be introduced into the diet as a way to bring in more liver into the diet. I actually do the exact same thing. We take our liver and I will put it in a food processor to liquefy it. And then, like you said, the one to three, or sometimes it's even a little bit more when I add it to things for my kids' stuff and even for mine, because I'm one of those people that the taste of it just makes me, uh, but you can easily disguise it. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> yeah, you truly can disguise it pretty easily. So what do you tell your clients who are vegan? Because this is a question I always get whenever I talk about liver. They're like, okay, I'm not going to eat liver because I'm vegan, which is a whole nother conversation in and of itself. But for the sake of just that point, what would you recommend? If you're deficient in B12, B12 is mostly found in animal foods. So if you're not going to get it in in animal form, that's where supplementation comes in. So definitely be supplementing if you are on a vegan diet. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about vitamin A a little bit. Yeah. Well, liver, again, <laughs> liver is super rich in vitamin A. So more reason to try and include more liver into the diet. Vitamin A is actually a forgotten vitamin. It's the first vitamin we ever discovered. That's why it's vitamin A, but it's also a forgotten vitamin and it plays such a major role in immunity. And as you know, our immune system is within our gut. A recent research study by Brown University, they suggested that moderate vitamin A levels within the intestines help control immune response and they prevent it from overreacting. And this is big news for those who are suffering from autoimmune conditions like Crohn's or colitis, for example, because it can help regulate the immune system. So vitamin A is a critical immune nutrient and really helpful in the gut in that way. And again, for those who might be vegetarian or vegan listening to this, who don't want liver or dairy or fish, which is rich in vitamin A, then carotenoids, the foods that are orange colored, like sweet potatoes, carrots are going to be rich in beta carotene. It's just that it's a more difficult conversion to get it into the form that our body utilizes. And that's why the preformed retinol form in liver is much better in terms of absorption, especially if somebody has absorption issues because of gut health issues. So just some options, get a varied amount of vitamin A rich foods into the diet, sweet potatoes, carrots, spinach, liver, dairy, fish, all of those can help bring on board more vitamin A and help with immune function. All right. Next one up is vitamin C, another one of those gut immune ones. But what else can you tell us about vitamin C? Yeah. So it can actually help balance out the good and the bad bacteria inside the gut. There was a 2019 study published in Redox Biology that found that vitamin C can be used to improve the gut barrier function, which is really important to protect us from certain toxins, but also to help us absorb nutrients. 
And in fact, vitamin C has the most significant impact on gut health compared to vitamins B and even D and was proven to help increase the diversity of our microbes in our gut, which is necessary for maintaining a healthy gut. Do you have any foods that you love or do you supplement with this? There's a lot of different vitamin C ways out there, I guess. It's very easy actually to get in vitamin C through food. So definitely eating a diet that's rich in vegetables and fruits like broccoli, for example, is rich in vitamin C, believe it or not. Strawberries, red bell peppers, like just eating half a red bell pepper, you've got your vitamin C intake for the day. You know, these are things that kids like as well. Oranges, of course, kiwi, a kiwi supplies you with the vitamin C that you need for the day. And then if you want to start supplementing or increasing the amount of vitamin C, camu camu powder is very, very sour though. So you'd have to kind of mix it into a smoothie with other things to break up that sourness. But that's really, really a very high source of vitamin C in a food powdered form before actually looking into like an ascorbic acid type of supplement. So that's one that I would really encourage if you focus on a whole foods diet, try to bring in as many fruits and vegetables as possible, like even Brussels sprouts is rich in vitamin C, bring these on board. There's a good chance you could bring in enough vitamin C into the diet without having the need to supplement. And what I love about a lot of these foods as well is for gut health purposes, a lot of these are really high in fiber as well. So you're getting so many different benefits. You know, when you talk about the bacteria and how the bacteria then can make some of these vitamins while a lot of bacteria is made from the prebiotics, which are in a lot of these foods. Like, you know, it's it's this positive cascade of events that happens when you eat the foods instead of supplementing all the time. It provides a lot more synergistic elements to it. And then the last one I wanted to really touch on is vitamin D and gut health. We know how important vitamin D is on immune health. And that's because vitamin D can influence the gut microbiome. And it also has anti-inflammatory and immune modulating effects. So it basically helps control our innate and our adaptive immunity in the gut. And it's also known to help support intestinal hyperpermeability, which is also known as quote unquote leaky gut, because it does have a protective effect on the integrity of the gut lining. So anybody who has any kind of autoimmune diagnosis, there's three factors that's always at play. One is gut dysfunction and leaky gut. Second is immune dysregulation. And third are triggers, trigger or triggers. And the triggers really depend on the individual. That's where it really needs to be customized, not just based on the diagnosis. So anybody who has an autoimmune diagnosis, they're going to have leaky gut. It is one of the three factors at play that's creating that perfect storm. And oftentimes low vitamin D is a contributing factor to leaky gut. So definitely an important one for gut health. And for this one, do you prefer supplementation or just foods? Sun exposure, vitamin D. I mean, so many people are afraid of the sun because of cancer, skin cancer, and the UV rays and whatnot. But ultimately, if you supply the body, it's not the sun's rays that are so harmful. It's the fact that our body may not have enough antioxidant protection from glutathione production to the foods that we provide it. So again, a whole foods diet is going to provide you with foods that are rich in antioxidants. And these antioxidants are going to protect against the UV rays from the sun and the damage that it can be causing internally. Sun exposure is critical for vitamin D production, right? It's the cholesterol on the skin. The sun hits the cholesterol on the skin and then goes to the liver to get converted. And then with magnesium, into the kidneys, it converts it into the active form. So there's a series of conversions and nutrients that are needed and the health of the liver, the health of the kidneys that's needed to convert vitamin D into its active form. And so that's why we have people, even who live in sunny countries, where vitamin D deficiency is an epidemic. And so it's adding to that sunscreen, you're absolutely going to block your production of vitamin D because we need to have the skin exposed to the sun. And so if you are scared of the sun, what I would say is start gradually increasing your tolerance to the sun. If you're someone who burns very quickly, look at adding in more antioxidant rich foods. Astaxanthin is a very, very rich antioxidant that can be taken in supplemental form or in food form found in fish and salmon that can help build our tolerance to the sun. It's like an internal sunblock 
So focus on increasing antioxidants within the body so that you can actually go out and get sun exposure without burning the skin and benefiting from the vitamin D production that is going to have not just on immune health, but also gut health. I love that. And I love this little side conversation about the sun. And it's something that I focus on. Well, you know, living in Minnesota, obviously we have so much winter, but even in the winter, I try to get out and have my body towards the sun as much skin showing as possible year round. It's not obviously just gut, but also overall mood and everything. Yeah, actually a really good app that I want to tell your listeners about if they don't know about it already is the D-Minder app. It's a free app. And what I really love about it is it helps you track your vitamin D intake depending on various factors because there's so many factors at play in terms of how much D we need and how much D we can produce, like our altitude, our geographical location, our age, how much skin is being exposed, how much sun is actually coming down on us what time of day it is, what time of year it is. And so this app, it factors in all these variables and you can customize it and individualize it. And it will tell you what is the best time of day for you to be producing when you open up the app, what time of day is the best time for you to actually go and get in that 15 minute sun exposure every day, right? So slowly build your tolerance, use this app. And I would recommend that you start going out slowly. If you're someone who burns, maybe go five minutes, Every day, gradually increase the time till you could reach 15 minutes of sun exposure. Really try to expose as much skin as possible. That way, it'll help you do it in a safe way. I will be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. That is an awesome resource. I've actually never seen that. So I'm excited to check it out as well. Bernadette, are there any other vitamins that you think are super important for gut health, for optimal gut health that I did not mention? Zinc is actually really another really important one. As I mentioned earlier, we need good, strong stomach acid to begin the signaling process to the pancreas, to the gallbladder, right? To continue the digestive process once the food leaves the stomach. We need zinc to produce stomach acid. So it's this like catch 22 where we need zinc to make stomach acid, but we also need stomach acid to absorb zinc. So that's another really important one, I'd say. And then there were a couple more after the vitamins. I was going to mention zinc and then calcium and iron as well. Anything that you would want to mention about those two? Calcium is absorbed in the duodenum. That's the first part of the small intestine where the food comes out of the stomach. And so it needs good, strong stomach acid. So again, that signaling to the pancreas happens and the digestive enzymes are released to help break down our food even further so that micronutrient absorption takes place. And we actually need calcium to activate the intrinsic factor that I mentioned previously for the absorption of vitamin B12 in the small intestine. By the way, parasites, they can actually suck up or sequester calcium in the intestines. It's the dientamoeba fragilis. That one in particular is one of the worst culprits with regards to calcium malabsorption. So of course, not only is stomach acid helpful in stopping parasitic infections, but ensuring we're clear of parasites so that it can help us absorb calcium, create the intrinsic factor to be able to absorb our B12. So calcium is another important one. You have mentioned a lot about stomach acid, and I'm glad that you have because so many people are afraid of stomach acid. We have been going to the doctor thinking that we have some sort of acid reflux and or heartburn and then given something to reduce our stomach acid when so often that is just not the case. And so I'm glad that you've been touching on how important stomach acid is. It's a bit counterintuitive, right? We think that it's because we have too much stomach acid. Of course, there are cases where it actually is too much stomach acid, but the majority of the time, it's not enough. It's not enough stomach acid, which causes a bubbling, a fermentation proteins putrefy, fats are acidify, carbs ferment, and it creates a little bit of bubbling. And the esophageal sphincter, that valve, the cardiac sphincter can open up and allow some stomach acid to splash up into the esophagus, which can cause some reflux and pain and burning there. So yeah, stomach acid is very, very important. There's actually a fantastic book out there by Dr. Jonathan Wright called why stomach acid is good for you that I highly recommend if you want to dive deeper into why stomach acid is good for you. (laughs) Awesome. I will check out that as well. I'm pretty obsessed with all things stomach acid because that was my culprit is I did not have enough. I was below like achlorhydria pretty much. 
How does one know if they have the right levels of nutrients? Is it just blood testing? What other ways could someone know? Symptoms are our body's way of communicating with us. This is actually something that I teach in my Gut Health Masterclass again, right? What are the signs and the symptoms of micronutrient insufficiencies or deficiencies that can basically accumulate and develop into a full-blown diagnosable disease? It starts with just a simple nutrient deficiency, right? So for example, if we go back to low stomach acid for a minute, you're going to end up with low vitamin B12 or low magnesium and low iron. All of these are going to have consequences. They're going to lead to symptoms down the line. So low B12, for example, can lead to feeling low in energy, or it might lead to tingling in your extremities and the toes and the fingers, create some kind of neuropathy. Low magnesium will lead to frequent headaches or muscle tightness and spasms. It'll affect sleep. So a person might have poor sleep. They'll be constipated. They might have high blood pressure or even GERD. All of these are signs of low magnesium, low iron that can lead to poor oxygenation, which makes a person feel cold or numb, definitely will contribute to fatigue. And they might also have hypothyroid symptoms. And that opens up a whole other slew of symptoms because our thyroid regulates our metabolic functions. So having good head of hair. So those who complain of hair loss, who are constipated, can't lose weight who are having trouble conceiving, right? Infertility, brittle nails, dry skin, all these other symptoms. These are all metabolic function symptoms related to hypothyroid function, but we need iron to convert our T4 to T3. So if you don't have good stomach acid, you're not gonna absorb iron. You're gonna affect your thyroid. You're gonna have all these bunch of symptoms. Now, if someone, you know, we touched on low stomach acid, but what if somebody has gut microbiome imbalances? where there might be bacterial overgrowth or just an imbalance in the beneficial endemic bacteria, right? We call that dysbiosis. When there's an imbalance in our beneficial bacteria, then they might experience issues with mood, like anxiety, depression. They might have skin issues like eczema and dry skin. It might also affect their sleep. It can also cause hormone imbalances, especially estrogen dominant type of symptoms, because Certain bacteria can increase an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And that enzyme, when it's in excess, it can actually uncouple or unpackage estrogen that was supposed to be cleared from the body, right? We're supposed to poop it out, but it allows it to go back into recirculation. And that can add to our estrogenic load, which will lead to heavy periods, PMS symptoms, cramps, moodiness, sore breasts, right? All the common, quote, common, but not normal symptoms around a woman's cycle. And so these overgrowths can also cause digestive issues, right? Like gas and bloating and other digestive complaints. So really, if anybody is experiencing symptoms, there's likely a macro or micronutrient insufficiency or deficiency somewhere. It all begins with a whole foods, nutrient-dense diet. If someone's diet is filled with more food products, as I call it, things that you can't pick from a tree or grow on land or kill on land or fish from the sea, but things that are more human-made, things that have been processed, anything that's made out of flour, then I would encourage them to adopt a more whole foods diet so that you could bring on board more macro and micronutrients. I have you know, this thing in my book, in my book on junk, I actually explain this in a very simple way using my health continuum line. And I try to simplify the face of nutrition in this thinking because food isn't good or bad, but it lies somewhere along this health continuum line. And at the green end, let's say at the far left end, it's anything that I just explained, things that you can pick from a tree, grow on land, kill on land, fish from the sea, whole untouched. And at the complete opposite end, the red end, the right side, it's anything that's human-made, created in a lab. That's your Skittles, for example, right? Completely artificial, chemically created. And somewhere in the middle, you have the things that may have started out in nature, but then there was a certain level of processing to it. So think of bread. You're not going to go and pick bread off a tree. Is it bad for you? We can't say it's bad, but on that scale, on that health continuum line, there has been some level of processing done to it. And any kind of processing that is done to food, you're going to lose your micronutrients. So it will not be as rich in micronutrients as whole foods at the green end. 
And those are our fruits and our vegetables and the animal proteins and their byproducts. So that's kind of how I like to explain a whole foods versus a food product type of diet. But of course, other than symptoms, there are functional tests that are available that can check micronutrient levels, but they do vary in price and turnaround time. But if somebody is eating a very poor diet, don't waste your money on testing. You know that that person is just going to have low micronutrient levels across the board. However, if you eat a fairly healthy, whole foods, nutrient-dense diet, and you're still experiencing symptoms, then it might be a good idea to invest in one of these tests to check and see what foods might you want to start including more of or reducing or even supplementing with so that you could fill in that gap. And so I'm just going to share a few tests in case some people would like to test their micronutrients. Vibrant America has one called the micronutrient test. Spectracell Laboratories, they also have a micronutrient test, but it's not recommended for those with a low white blood cell count or if you've just had an illness or a bout of inflammation because it takes that into account. So every test is going to have different circumstances. Genova, which also maybe your community are already aware of Genova because they have functional stool tests, but they also have another comprehensive test called the Nutrival. It's expensive, but it does also test micronutrients in addition to fatty acids, amino acids. It has some detoxification markers and so many others. But again, it's very expensive and it does require a lot of blood samples. And then there's a less invasive urine test called the organic acids test, which does have a section that looks at B vitamins and vitamin C, but it also looks at microbial and fungal markers, the energy production cycle, detoxification ability. And again, a lot of different markers. I really like an organic acids test for kids because it doesn't involve blood testing and it's really easy. It's just with urine, but again, the consequence is it doesn't test for minerals. And that's where maybe a hair mineral test, for example, is a better option for kids. But again, finding a practitioner who is savvy in the interpretation of a hair mineral test is really important because what the results actually show, it's not necessarily what is at play, especially if there might be mineral derangement from heavy metals like mercury toxicity, for example. And so these are like a bunch of functional tests that you would need to have to get done either through a third-party lab like my med lab if you don't want to go through a doctor, but a functional practitioner can order these tests for you. Otherwise, you could just do a simple blood test. A simple blood test can measure certain nutrients. I know vitamin D, magnesium B12, those are commonly tested by doctors, but I would encourage that if you do go to your doctor to get these nutrients tested, ask for red blood cell, RBC. The RBC value of B12, RBC zinc, RBC copper, RBC magnesium. The RBC value gives you a better indication of what the levels of the nutrients are within the cells instead of what's actually in the blood, which can be highly affected by the foods that you ate the night before testing. So if you had a handful of almonds before testing and then you go and test your magnesium levels, oh, you have fantastic levels of magnesium if they tested serum, what's in the blood. So RBC actually shows what's in the cell. And I have had doctors also test for vitamin A and vitamin C in blood. So you can also get some micronutrient testing done with a normal blood test and hopefully get it covered by insurance as well. That was super comprehensive, Bernadette. I found so much value in it. And I think that everyone listening is probably feverishly taking notes as well. So I really appreciate that. And one thing I really love that you said, and it's something that we talk about so often, it's the very simple thing to talk about, but it's not easy to do, is really focusing on that whole foods diet and practicing the art of listening to your body, the signs and the symptoms, and knowing the difference between, okay, I have been drinking a lot of alcohol, I haven't been sleeping, I've been eating all processed foods, I just, quote unquote, can't understand what could be wrong with me. It's really being able to sit back and look at everything and say, okay, yes, I truly have been doing everything that I can, or no, there are some very basic 
changes I could make to see if things will improve before I go out and spend my life savings on all the things. Yeah, absolutely. And then also recognizing symptoms, right? And not just brushing them off as, oh yeah, you know, it's just my monthly headache or, oh yeah, it's just a sign of aging. No, your body is talking to you. Symptoms is how our body talks to us. And so it's a matter of understanding your symptoms and what they mean and how that can be translated to the lifestyle and diet and the environment that we're asking our bodies to try and thrive in. So when it comes to micronutrients, what is something that you think people get wrong? Definitely supplementing with single micronutrients like zinc and vitamin D, for example. So, you know, with this whole pandemic that we've all gone through, probably the majority of people have started at some point supplementing with vitamin D and zinc, which are known to help support the immune system. But vitamin D is actually a pro-hormone. And so it has hormone-like effects in the body. If you're not testing your levels, you mentioned earlier, test, don't guess. And that's very true. And if you are supplementing with a single nutrient, like vitamin D, for example, and you've been taking it for months and months and months at high doses as well, really be careful. Definitely go test because high levels of vitamin D can actually become immunosuppressive, meaning it suppresses your immune system. So it's actually having the opposite effect of what you're taking it for. It can lead to other symptoms. It can lead to hot flashes. It can lead to high calcium absorption, which can lead to calcification in the soft tissues, especially if vitamin K2 is low in the diet. All vitamins and minerals, they dance together. So if you take very high vitamin D, that's going to deplete your vitamin A. And vitamin A is another immune nutrient like we talked about earlier. And it's also needed for thyroid conversion from T4 to T3. So it's also going to affect thyroid health and all the metabolic functions that I discussed earlier. And those with like the bumpy skin on the back of their arms, that's usually a sign of low vitamin A. So again, if you're supplementing with a single nutrient, make sure that you're testing your levels at least every three to four months to make sure that you're not overdoing it. And I've actually seen people become anemic as a result of zinc supplementation. It's not a direct cause, but zinc, again, they dance together, right? All these minerals dance together and zinc depletes copper. They're antagonists. And so if a person has low copper levels, they won't be able to absorb their iron, which can lead to anemia. (laughs) So again, supplementing with micronutrients really needs to be done under the supervision of a practitioner to be testing every few months or just take a break from it every few months if you do start to supplement. Only supplement if you know there's a deficiency or insufficiency and you want to bridge that gap with a single nutrient supplement. Great thought. Great advice. It's so true. I really thank you for sharing that. So before we head into our last question, I would just love if you could share how people can find and connect with you. I would love to know a little bit more about your book, Unjunk. And do you still work with people one-on-one or is it just through your group, your new course? I am still taking one-on-ones, but I have a very long wait list. So if somebody is interested, they absolutely can get in touch with me. You could send me a DM or email me. So DM through Instagram. My Instagram account is my name, Bernadette.Abraham. Or you could send me an email. The link to my website is also found in my bio link on Instagram. Because I kind of have limited capacity to work with people one-on-one now, that's why it came out of a need to be able to help more people. And so I've created this online platform called Be Better. There's a community forum where people can ask me questions. I have live Q&A sessions every other month. I have guest experts that come in where they can also ask their questions. And I've got tons of video resources for people to just become more educated and learn about their symptoms and what they mean just to be able to help them get through that. And so if anyone is looking to join an awesome group of health go-getters and they need more support along their health journey, then yeah, they can go to bebettermembership.com directly. But all of that is also just linked in my bio on my Instagram page. And then your book, is it out or is it coming out? It's coming out. So hopefully it's going to release early fall. Is the book for mothers for their children? Is it for people in general? Who is the book really targeted towards? Although it can help everybody, it really is focused on parents to 
help parents help their children adopt a healthier eating. Because like we mentioned early on, we could have all this amazing knowledge, but when it comes to children, getting them to actually implement these things is an entirely different ballgame. So I share parenting strategies. Like it also depends on your feeding style. You have to understand what is your feeding style towards your children. You have to understand what is your child's eating style as well. And so I share strategies that I've learned over the years. I've also changed my feeding style over the years. I was a lot more controlling in the beginning. I had a more authoritative style of feeding my kids. Whereas like, this is what I'm making. This is what you eat because I had four of them. So if I gave in to one, I was going to be a short order chef, right? I'm just going to be cooking left, right, and center for everybody catering to all their demands. So I was pretty strict early on, but then as they got older, that started backfiring and I started recognizing the signs. So I explained that as well, how, you know, the different years, the early years versus when they get a little bit older versus the teenage years, you have to adapt your parenting style and your feeding style with your kids as well. And so I share all these strategies. I obviously do talk about the history of how we came to be where we are today with the food industry, the evolution of the modern diet. So I go back into the history of how, for example, trans fats got created and why it's still around today. I discuss the implications of sugar and processed and refined foods. And I also share texts that parents could read to their children so they can explain it in a very easy, simple way. I have a lot of exercises and fun games to do with the kids to just engage them into the book. And I share tons and tons of recipes also at the end of the book, which is also just another resource to help parents kind of you know, let's say their child likes Rice Krispie squares. Well, I share at the back of the book, a healthier version. Their kids like caramel popcorn. I share a healthier version at the end of the book, right? So it's kind of like a unjunk your diet is find that middle ground approach. Instead of saying no, no, no to everything, go, okay, you want chips? Let's find you one that has better, cleaner ingredients. So I help parents with the shopping, knowing how to read labels, and then also how to make and prepare healthier foods at home. I'm constantly doing this. And so I personally am excited to see your take on it as well with your new book. Thank you. So at the end of my interviews, I always ask guests for their three convictions around gut health and gut healing. For reference, mine are heal your gut, heal your life. Everything is beautiful in its time and no one will ever advocate for your health in the ways you can. Show up and glow up for you. So Bernadette, what are your convictions? So I thought about this and I'm like, I can only really think of one main thing that I would like to end off with, which is you can't heal your gut without first addressing the brain and your environment. And so what I mean by that, it's traumas, stress, environmental toxicities. All of these put our body in a sympathetic dominant state. And unless we can help our brain realize that we're not being threatened healing becomes very difficult and it can actually become a revolving door for many, especially with SIBO. You can constantly have that dynamic where it goes away and comes back. It goes away and it comes back. So really for me, before addressing gut health or maybe addressing it in parallel, you could do that together. Working on traumas and the environmental threats is really, really key to gut health and to healing. Yes, I echo that fully. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for joining me today, Bernadette. And to you out there, thank you for joining us. I will see you again next time. 